in the midst of uncertainty, our faith can struggle. Our walk becomes labored, our heart heavy. There's something about the unknown which seems to weaken us. It drains our patience and blurs our focus. Yet, in the middle of everything, stands a faithful God. A God who's not swayed by the struggle, who isn't moved by the winds of chaos. A God who remains faithful, even when our faith is fragile. It seems more difficult than ever to not worry about tomorrow. Yet that's exactly what God has asked us to do. For when we cast our burdens on Him, the troubles of the moment begin to fade. When we trust the plans He has for us, our fear begins to subside. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, our focus becomes consumed by clarity. Yes, we are in the midst of uncertainty. We can be certain of one thing. God is faithful. And that is more than enough for tomorrow. What a great video. What a great song. What a great song. Um, have you ever been caught unaware? Have you ever been surprised by something? You know, we, always like, we all like to watch cat videos, right? Those videos where a cat is surprised by something and loses its mind, you know, flies up in the air, whatever. Um, I tried to figure out a great way to start this message this morning, and that's kind of the only thing I could come up with. Sorry, that's cat, a cat video. Um, so, so we're starting Second Peter today, and and uh, we've never studied Second Peter before. Here, I just read something that said a lot of pastors don't preach on Second Peter, and I thought, oh great, here we go, another one. We're doing, we're tackling another book that lot, lots of pastors don't tackle here at North Hills. Uh, leave it to us to wrestle through the hard and difficult stuff. And this book is packed full of of, of hard stuff, um, challenging stuff, and there's a reason for that. Now, if you if you read through First Peter and, and my small group Bible study, we're going through First Peter right now. Um, Peter focused on God's grace in first in the book of First Peter, and the book of First Peter was written to Christians, uh, both Jew and Gentile, in the Roman world just before. Nero came into power. So life was, was a struggle for them, but, but not seriously life or death struggle yet. When 2 Peter was written, Nero was in power, and these Christians, Jew and Gentile, are being killed for fun. They're, they're being thrown into Colosseums, they're being burned at the stake, and so this is the context that they are reading the book of 2 Peter, and we need to remember that. Now, if anyone in the early church knew the importance of being alert, it had to be Peter. I mean, Peter uh, had a tendency throughout his life to talk when he should have listened. He ran ahead when he should have been patient. He, he uh, slept when he should have been praying. 
He was overconfident when danger was near and he overlooked many of Jesus' warnings. But he learned his lessons well and he wants us to learn those lessons too and we need to be alert. Oh man, though, the grace of God. Uh, the grace of God, his amazing grace. I'm so grateful for that in my own life. I mean, every day I just, I just can't imagine God, you know, loving me. Uh, just yesterday I was reminded that as I, I watched my basketball team lose a basketball game that I didn't want them to. Um, and, and there were a few times yesterday where I was reminded of my sinfulness as I cheered or yelled for my team or, you know, ref, you missed a call. And I could tell when I stepped over the line because the entire bench of the Pine Bluffs basketball team would turn around and look at me. <laughs> now I'm sitting with my son and uh, he never said, you're embarrassing me, dad, I'm gonna go sit where someplace else which I said to my dad one time in this gym here, dad, if you don't knock it off, I, so I come by that honestly, no excuse though. Um, look, I mean, it, it, it's one thing to say how we should live on a Sunday morning, it's another thing to work that out in our daily life, right? And we need to be not only reminded of that, but we need to be repentant and we need to change. And, and we're going to see that as we go through this. That was not in my notes, by the way. That was a confession through the Holy Spirit, I think. Um, but in my own life, forgiveness, joy, peace, hope, and, and no matter what the circumstances are, I've experienced those things in the midst of all of those things. And we all can. Uh, because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we are given freedom from the bondage and consequence, consequences of sin, which is separation from God. We don't have to experience that ever from whatever day we surrender our life to Jesus Christ throughout the rest of all of eternity. We never, as followers of Jesus Christ, have to experience separation from God. What a gift that is. Um, in this letter, though, if Peter focused on grace in his first letter, in this letter, Peter's focus is on the knowledge of God. He starts out right from the beginning talk about, talking about the, the, he uses the word know or knowledge 13 times throughout this letter of 2 Peter. And its definition is not limited to mere intellectual assent or understanding or, or knowledge, um, though that is Part of it, that's included in it, Peter means for it to be a living participation in the truth. Uh, Jesus described it this way in John chapter 17, verse 3. He says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this knowledge isn't know of or know about, but to know intimately. You know, if in, our, if in our marriage relationships, all we did was know things about that other person, it wouldn't be a very good relationship. There is depth to our knowing of each other in many different aspects of the relationship, and that's what Peter is talking about here. It's, it's, it's experiencing God, and, and in a similar opening as his first letter, Peter opens with a description of the Christian life. He says, this is the Christian life. 
There's a therefore, and it's coming. If you would, if you haven't already, turn, turn to the book of 2 Peter, and uh, we will, we will uh, read up through or work our way through the, the first 11 verses to that therefore. Peter opens with this description of the Christian life. Um, but before he describes counterfeits, which, which he'll, we'll begin to get into next week, he describes true believers. Now, it's naturally where we need to start, right? We, we should know that. We need to know the foundation, and that foundation, the source of our salvation, is the reason that we're even able to experience joy and peace and forgiveness and to bear fruit in our lives on a daily basis it's because of our knowing, our experiencing Jesus and his truth. And there are many who are led by the enemy who want to promote just the opposite. Um, they make the mistake that mere knowledge or acknowledgement is the, all that a person needs or, or even beyond that, they have this counterfeit truth altogether. They, they take the truth of scripture and they add just a subtlety to its description to make it say something that it really doesn't. And we must be cautious about that. Now, when it comes to currency in America, and once again, I, I didn't bring a uh, actual physical object to, uh, to help us understand this, but if you could think of a $100 bill, I mean, maybe some of you have never even seen one or held one in your hand, but if you can think of a $100 bill, um, people have tried throughout the centuries to get rich by duplicating money. You know, they, they, they want to copy it. They want to what? Counterfeit it. So the question is, how, how do you tell a counterfeit from a fake? And I looked this up, and the, the page that I came to said that there are lots of features on uh, a piece of currency that, we, that you need to pay attention to. First of all, the texture. There should be a crispness that should be there. There's, the, the ink is slightly raised on, on, a, on a real $100 bill. Uh, real money has color-shifting ink, especially in the upper right-hand corner of the bill. When you, when you roll it in your hand, it should change colors. It, there, there is a difference that you're going to see there, and that works with bills $10 and up. Uh, you know, in order to tell the difference between a real and fake one, they say to study the watermark. Look for that raised printing. Look for the fibers. Look for red fibers. Look for blue fibers. And, and pay attention to make sure that they are actually fibers and not just printed to look like fibers. And then, of course, the list goes on. Now, the main focus of this is what? In order to know the difference between a real bill and a fake one, you need to do What? You need to know what the real one is. You need to focus on the real one. You need to know the real one. And when you know the real one, the fake will become evident as soon as you touch it, as soon as you look at it, as long as you're paying attention. You know what? That has just as much to do with the Christian life as it does a piece of currency. Um, the best way to detect falsehood is to know and understand the truth, the real thing. And in these first 11 verses of Peter's letter, uh, Peter points out three important affirmations about the true Christian life. First, he says that a genuine Christian life begins with faith. Second, he says that the genuine faith results then in spiritual growth. And third, that genuine spiritual growth will bear practical 
results. So let's look at verses one and two of chapter one. He starts out, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those through, through, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Faith as precious as ours, Peter says. In other words, even though the apostles and other contemporaries of Jesus physically walked with them, heard him, touched him, had conversations with him, Peter is saying that, 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 that the faith of those is no more special than yours. Our faith, your faith, is as precious as the Apostle Peter's faith was. Jesus is as real to us as he was to them. And we don't have to see him with our human eyes in order to trust him and share in his glory. And that faith, that belief and trust is in a person. It's, it's in a person, and that person, of course, is Jesus Christ, who walked this earth, breathed on this earth, died, rose again on this earth, and then ascended into heaven. Peter affirms Jesus' deity here, and he's because he's not talking about two different beings, God and of Jesus our Lord. Those are interchangeable. It's one person, Jesus, both fully God and fully man, and I don't get how that works. It is one of the great mysteries. It is a supernatural mystery, but it is True, it happened, and that person, Jesus Christ, is the one who brought salvation to us. Salvation and hope as we go through the troubles and the struggles of this world, and salvation and hope from the consequences of sin, which is eternal separation from God in hell, which is a real eternal place. This salvation also carries with it the idea of health and safety. And whether it is while on this earth for a very short, short time, if Jesus were to return, which he said he's gonna, he promised he would, it could be in your lifetime, it may not be. But if it is, or if it's after we each take our last breath, there is eternity for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, and it is eternal life. It will be pain-free, it will be tear-free, it will be problem-free, I can't wait but even though we may be suffering in many ways, there's three things that we receive through this faith in Jesus, in the person of Christ, and only by him. The first one is righteousness. His righteousness becomes ours. We are able to do good and think good because of that righteousness that he gives us. We don't earn it. It's a gift from God. For those who believe, Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That righteousness comes from being in him, in Christ. The second thing that we receive through faith in Jesus is grace and mercy. Grace, getting something that we don't deserve, that forgiveness, that peace, that joy. We don't deserve it. Eternal life, uh, we don't deserve it. That's grace. We also get mercy with that, and that's not getting what we do deserve. What, what do we deserve? We deserve separation from an all-powerful, uh, eternal, and perfect God. For it is by what we are saved. How are we saved? By what? By grace. 
We are saved by grace, God's favor to the undeserving and mercy not getting what we deserve. When we receive forgiveness and salvation and righteousness and eternal life and blessing and peace and joy, those are things that we don't deserve. I mean, I know we all create this fallacy in our mind that, that we're just good enough that we deserve something. It's just not true. Uh, we don't. We don't deserve that, but God gives it to us anyway. Peter describes it in his first letter in, in verse uh, 10 of chapter 5, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and, fed, and, and steadfast. Restoration, strength, perseverance, those are gifts from God. And the result of this righteousness and mercy and grace is peace. It's peace. Who doesn't want peace in their life? The result of our relationship with Jesus by faith is peace with God and then experiencing every day in our life, it is peace of God. So first there's this reconciliation in the relationship, peace with God when we receive that grace and mercy. And then it's an everyday experience, experiential life of peace that comes from our relationship with God so that when we're in the midst of difficult things, we have this peace of God. It becomes a reality in our life. Paul in Romans chapter five, one and two says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And in, and, and in his letter to the Philippians, uh, Paul said, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. First, there's peace with God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And then there's the peace of God. Look, you, you get an injury in life that, that, that keeps you from doing what you want to. Maybe you've recently experienced a, a death of a loved one or a financial struggle or a broken relationship. Or maybe, maybe today you were just totally exhausted from work or family. You, I mean, you fill in the blank. What is it in your life that is a struggle that you're wrestling with and recognize that there can be peace in the midst of that thing, which is still hard. I'm not denying the difficulty and the fact that some things in this, in this life just flat out suck, right? I mean, this is, this is the hardest thing that I've ever gone through. No matter what age you are, Maybe you had your heart set on something and that something for whatever reason has been taken away, whether it might be briefly or for the rest of your life, who knows? I'm telling you, even in the midst of those things, as we are experiencing our relationship with Jesus Christ, there can be a sense of peace. God's got this. I don't understand it. I don't, it breaks my heart. But I do know I do know the one who knows it all 
And I can have that sense of peace. And that peace, as Paul says in verse 7 of Philippians 4, transcends all understanding. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I, my, my friend is flipping out over this, and I just have this sense that it's going to be okay. That does not come from your inner self alone. It comes by the grace of God, that peace that transcends all understanding. And it's available we just need to plug into it. That power source is there. We just need to lean into it. Uh, faith starts when we surrender to the reality of a person, Jesus. And when we know Jesus personally, we experience God's power. Another thing that we experience is that that faith involves, it involves God's power. Our faith in Christ involves God's power. Look at verse three. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God's power. There is no salvation but that that comes from God's power. We can't earn it. It's his power that gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. When, when we are unsaved sinners, we're dead. We're dead spiritually for eternity. We don't cease to exist. Dead spiritually, and we are in bondage to sin. All we know is sin, but Jesus frees us from that. He breaks the chains. He gives us another choice. In his goodness and his glory, he calls us to himself, and only Jesus can raise the dead to life. Uh, he did that to Lazarus. I often wonder, was, was, was Lazarus like ticked? I mean, did, did Lazarus experience heaven for a moment? Did he experience the presence of God and then Jesus calls him out of the grave and all of a sudden he's breathing again and he's alive? What? I'm sure God protected him from that somehow. Um, I don't know. I'd like to ask him sometime. Uh, but this is, what, this is what Jesus does in John chapter 11, verse 44. Um, after he calls to Lazarus, it says, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Release him from his bondage. He was bonded in death and now he is alive. And for us spiritually, when we are reborn in Jesus Christ, we are born complete. Nothing has to be added. The false teachers of Peter's day and many false teachers in our own claim that they had some special kind of doctrine. You just need to add this to this. You, you, we have this other book. It's really, in fact, we use it more than we actually do the Bible. It's super important. It's this added stuff that God gave us later or somebody gave us later. Something that would add to their lives. But Peter knew that that was wrong. Just as a baby has all the necessary DNA at conception, there's nothing added. Doesn't need to be. That child has enough in that moment. At salvation, we have everything we need. So having everything necessary for life and godliness, when we take that first step of faith, we continue on taking steps and developing, just like that fetus does from conception. It's human. It's just still developing. You're human. 
You're saved, and we're all at different places in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you may have started yesterday. Some of you may have been, been uh, living with Jesus and for Jesus for 50 years. You're still, we're still developing. We're still saved. We're just at a different place. So having everything necessary for life and godliness, when we take that first step of faith, we continue on taking steps and developing, growing in that faith. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. That faith involves God's power. And third, that faith involves God's promises. Through these, verse four, if you look at verse four, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. Here's that precious again. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's right here. This holds the promises that God wants us to know, that he revealed to us. And this is what we need in order to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world. We just need to apply it. We just need to engage with it. These great and precious promises enable us to develop this life and godliness that Peter is talking about. These promises enable us to participate in God's divine nature. Warren Wiersbe, he explains it this way. He says, when the sinner believes on Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to impart the life and nature of God within. A baby shares the nature of its parents and a person born of God shares the divine nature of God. God's word breathed by God to us. And, and as we experience the power of God in our lives, our appetite begins to grow. Um, we, we want to learn more. We want to surrender more. We want to pray. Our, our desire to praise and worship grows. It increases as well. And we escape the corruption in the world that is caused by those evil desires. I mean, it's just like a computer. Garbage in, what? Garbage out. Our minds, our hearts, our, it's the same way. You know, I, this, this particular point always reminds me of that, that uh, I don't know, it was, it was uh, I think it was in Alaska, or they were, this guy was talking about the fact that he has these two wolves inside of him, right? A white one and a black one. And they're constantly at, they're constantly at war. The white one is the, the goodness in, in, inside of him, and the, the black dog represents the darkness that's inside of him and his ability to do both. And, and, and the young boy asks him, which one is winning? And he says, the one I feed the most. The one I feed the most is going to be the strongest. We need to feed our souls the word of God, and that involves ingesting, learning, knowing, standing on the promises of God because our desires are being transformed from evil ones to good ones. And there are a lot of people that like to poo-poo goodness and godliness and righteousness in our world. No, no, that's what we need to strive for. That's what we need to look towards. And the only, because the only normal fruit-bearing life for the child of God is a godly one. If you notice that your life is everything but that, everything but godly, then it's time to evaluate whether you have truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and believed. 
We need to not only be inspectors of the fruit of other people's lives, but also the the fruit that our own life is producing. Even more so, I believe. We need to feed our new nature with God's promises and truth. And as we do, the nourishment of God's word will weaken our interest in the garbage and increase our interest in the goodness. And if we make excuses and justify our sin, our sinful nature will lead us deeper into disobedience and fruitlessness. So we spend time in his word every day. It's a part of our natural breathing, spiritually. Taking in nourishment and direction and correction, God's word helps us to know how to communicate with God in prayer. Um, He teaches all of that. What's important to him, he teaches all of that to us. And we know him at a deeper level when we meditate on what he has revealed to us in his word. So our Christian life begins with faith. And that faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. It involves God's power and his promises. And as we take those steps into faith, our faith will then result in spiritual growth. We will grow. Where there is healthy life, there is growth, isn't there? We we have these two Easter lilies, not Easter lilies. What are they? Peace lilies, thank you. We have these two peace lilies at home. And they're just, they look terrible. They do. We've had them a long time, and they remain to be green, and it's like they won't give up. But, but we can't get them to look like they're supposed to. I have one in here that, that Jim Mueller gave me that sits in a spot in my office. I water it one time a week. And, and it constantly has a flower on it. And these at home, we have tried repotting them. Um, they still look bad. <laughs> and, and it's like, what is, it, something is not right. Because if, if, if they had what they needed, they would be healthy. And we're struggling to figure out what that is that they need in order for them to be healthy. I don't know, they may just need whacked off. They may need pruned. That's part of the spiritual life too, right? The pruning of the old so that it can make room for the new to grow. Maybe, I don't know, if there are any experts out there. My wife looks mortified because she thinks it's all her fault, but it's not. Although she's the one that takes care of all the plants in the house. I, I have another plant in my office, and it wasn't doing very well. And I found out that not only was I watering it once a week, but the cleaning lady was watering it once a week. And I had, I, there's a sign on it that says, do not water. This plant doesn't need to be wet all the time. It needs to have a drink once a week, and that's it. Let it dry out. Man, it is growing like crazy because it's doing what it does. It's doing what is normal to it. It's receiving what it needs. And it's growing. And that's what, that's what happens in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, God has given us all that we need for that growth to occur, for that intimate knowing of him and the working out of in our daily life. Look at verses 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. There are things that we need. There are things that we have to work at. 
This is, you know, there's this saying that says, let go and let God. Okay, I get, I get that, but we got to be careful how we apply that. Because if, if we're just like, let go and let God, you know, Jesus, take the wheel. You're driving down the road. You know what? I don't have to drive. God's going to take care of me. He's going to drive it. I'm pretty sure you're not going to stay on the road if you do that. Especially if you drive a pickup like I do that you have to herd down the road instead of just drive it straight. It's going to go one direction or the other. Let go and let God. I mean, if it means, if, if what we're saying is we need to send, surrender control of our life, yes, we need, to, we need to let go. We need to let go of that stuff that we're holding on. Uh, control of opinions and desires and decisions. What it does not mean is that we can just sit back and expect God to do all the work. Spiritual growth does not automatically happen in our lives. We got to apply ourselves. We got to apply the truth that we're reading in God's word. We got to take action. We have to be diligent and have discipline as we cooperate with God as he does the work to transform our life. And and remember, these that he's talking about are are all post-salvation. Our discipline and work is not in an effort to be saved, We can't get the cart before the horse. Our discipline and effort is because we are saved. Uh, The word translated add there, he says, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith, means to supply generously. In other words, these characteristics are all woven together. It's not, okay, I'm going to focus on this one this week, and then this one next week, and then this one the next week. These, These are all happening all at the same time. They're interconnected, like a branch is connected to a tree trunk, and a twig's connected to the branch, and the leaves are connected to the twig. There's seven character traits of a Christian who is working out their salvation, and Peter goes through them right here. The first is goodness. Which, which basically means excellence. To the, to the Greek philosophers, it meant the fulfillment of a thing. I'm sure they said it that way. When, when, anything due to, when anything due to its nature fulfills its purpose, it is found to have virtue and moral excellence. When we fulfill the purpose God has for us, we, which becomes our nature as his new creation, we grow in goodness. When we glorify God because we bear God's image, we exercise goodness in our life. And this isn't polishing human qualities, but but instead practicing divine qualities that make us more like Jesus. This goodness then leads us to knowledge. Add knowledge to goodness, Peter says. That knowledge is practical and discerning. And like the others, it's not automatic. You know, you don't surrender your life to Jesus Christ and all of a sudden this is automatically downloaded into your brain and you can access it at every moment. No, it takes time and effort and work and and faithfulness and discipline to learn what God wants us to know. That knowledge, it takes obedience to the will of God and and, and knowledge again is not just mental assent but it, it involves all of us, our heart, mind, soul, strength, character. The next quality Peter mentions is self-control. Oh man, self-control is in everything, isn't it? Oof. We already started with the lack of that. Our response to hard things, our response to unfair things, our response to losing. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. That's self-control. 
self-control when it comes to entertainment and food and all other areas of our life. We all need to pump some serious self-control iron in our life. And, and trust me, if, if it's not God, it's the enemy providing many opportunities to exercise and grow in self-control. How do we do? How did you do? The next one is perseverance. Uh, your translation may say patience instead of perseverance. It's the ability to endure when circumstances are difficult. Oh man, and that can be hard, can't it? Self-control has to do with, self-control I think has to do with the pleasures of life and perseverance primarily relates to the pressures and problems of life. More often than not, the person who gives in to pleasures is not disciplined enough to handle pressures and problems. Don't give up, keep working. Keep learning, keep surrendering, because Jesus is walking right there with you. Holding you up, cheering you on, providing power through the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't happen automatically. Uh, James 1, James chapter 1, I'm not going to read it yet, but James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8 is the right approach here for this. We must expect trials and learn from them. We must, by faith, then let our trials work for us instead of against us. Because usually we're fighting against those trials. But, but why is this trial here? God, help me hang on to you. Help me grab on to you in the midst of this trial. And maybe we'll get it. Maybe we'll understand the purpose of that. Maybe we won't. And that's actually okay. We need to just resign ourselves to the fact that God can be trusted. Whatever it is that he allowed in our life is there for a reason. Next is godliness. And that simply means God-likeness. In the original Greek, the word meant to worship well. I thought that was interesting. It described someone who was right in their relationship with God and their fellow man. So that, that worship was, was possible. I mean, it sure makes us distinctive in the world we live in today, doesn't it? Godliness. Piety and reverence would be another way of looking at godliness. A godly person makes decisions that are right and noble no matter what they're being faced with. He or she doesn't take the easy path to avoid pain or trial, but does what is right because it is the right thing to do before God, godliness. The sixth characteristic is brotherly kindness. Being kind to one another, wow. Wow. Every time I come into Lingle from the West, and I don't think it's there anymore because I think the people moved, but there was a sign there on the corner that said, be kind to animals. And I thought, that's great, we should. But you know what? I want to cross that out and, and say human beings. That should be the first and foremost uh, group of breathing beings that we should be kind to on this planet is people. Giving grace to others. Let brotherly love continue, the preacher in Hebrew says. And kindness involves action. It isn't just an attitude or a thought, though it starts there. It is, it's, it's motion, it's action. Saying something, doing something for someone. And we, grow, and, and we grow in kindness as we grow in these other character traits, which brings us to the last one that Peter lists, and that's love. Love. Um, Jesus displayed incredible love for us. A genuine action of sacrifice is a way that we can love others. 
And it's gotta be the real deal. We can't fake this. This is not, as I often say, Minnesota nice. I mean, they have a saying in Minnesota. It's Minnesota nice. Well, well did she was, she, was she nice to you? Well, she was Minnesota nice. I mean, I could see it. I could see the fake on her face, but it really wasn't. I don't know what we would call that in Wyoming, but. And I learned that from a friend who's a, native of Minnesota, so I'm not just, you know, making stuff up here. We, we need to love and work through things with the people around us in this room. I mean, if you're running from something or you're trying to avoid something, that's really not loving. Uh, we need to work through stuff together. The power of Jesus in us enables us to be able to do that. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians kind of love, love that is produced as we walk with the Holy Spirit. We love because of our likeness to others and because they bear the image of God himself. And, and with that, and, and with the love that grows by the Holy Spirit, we love in spite of our differences too. You know, we don't just love those who are like us, or maybe you do, but that's, you need to take another step and go beyond that in life and love somebody that is not like you, that does not think like you, that does not act like you and that's hard but it's a part of being a believer uh, Philippians chapter 2 Paul says in verses 12 and 13 therefore my dear friends as, as you have always obeyed not only in my presence but now much more in my absence continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose there's that working out uh, you know, this, it's not works-based salvation. Again, don't get the cart before the horse. This is because of our salvation. Surrendering, taking action, and getting better at these works as Jesus walks along with us and empowers us. This is like the fitness gym of trials and trouble and pressure. That's where we grow. You don't go to the gym and just, you know, look around. You don't just, right, buy the membership Park in front of it occasionally. Maybe go in and look at the machines. That doesn't do you any good. That's really not discipline. That's really not faith. And, and that's what Peter's talking about here. And, and that's what James is referring to in that verses two through eight. Um, I'm just gonna read it really quickly because, man, I'm, I've done run out of time. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, where whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The testing of our faith is good. We don't like it, it's not fun, but it's good. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. And may we live this out in our everyday lives. Man, I want to. The Christian life begins with faith. The faith results in spiritual growth. Though it's not automatic, it takes discipline. And number three, spiritual growth will bring practical results. This is, we should just know this. 
It's going to produce results in our life. Peter says that one of those practical results is fruitfulness. Verse 8, look at it. For if you possess these qualities, which the seven that he just mentioned, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, in other words, you're getting better at them, they're, they're growing in you, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says it in the negative. The positive of this, the positive of this is if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, your life will positively affect people around you. Your life will produce goodness. Your life will encourage people and point to Jesus Christ. They won't avoid you at the store. They'll want to come have a conversation with you because they know that every time they do, they leave with a smile on their face or you say something encouraging to them. You're kind to them. Your life will nourish the lives of others instead of cause them to rot because they are near and close to your rottenness. Foul language, angry outbursts, impatience with God and people, negativity, selfish decisions, causing pain in others' lives because you can. These are all indications of ineffectiveness and unproductivity. Let's not go through life deceived. Because you see, how we live, how we conduct ourselves on a daily basis is important. It's a barometer as well as, as a loud proclamation. Uh, after going through our passage today, there's no doubt, um, let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And as we do, we will bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. And not only will our life be transformed, but the lives of people around us who need Jesus, they will be transformed as well. Look at verse nine. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. This is like a trip to the eye doctor. You know, you can get along without going to the eye doctor if you have glasses for, for a period of time. And you, but if you wait like a couple years and you finally recognize that you're not able to read things like you did before and you go to the eye doctor and you get new lenses, what happens? Wow, I'm seeing stuff I haven't been able to see for a year. We need our vision restored. We need our vision restored, don't we? If you think through that list and you're having trouble finding those characteristics in your life, then verse 9 should be a wake-up call. Because it means one of two things. If there's absolutely no bearing of fruit in your life, then it may mean that your profession of faith that you thought you prayed that one day was not genuine. You were, just, you were just regurgitating a prayer. It did not come from your heart. And it, maybe you repeated some words, figured that's what was required. You thought you could fake it till you make it, but that isn't possible with a sovereign, all-powerful God. He knows. Take time on your knees before God and ask him. He'll, he'll tell you. If you don't know... James just said, if you lack wisdom, even as it uh, pertains to your own life, ask him and he'll answer you. Ask him, Father, on your knees, have, have, have you written my name in your Lamb's book of life? Help me to know. Because 
You don't want to live a lie. You don't want to live deceived. You know, coming to church is great. Doesn't make you a believer. Doesn't make you a Christian. If his answer to you is no, then surrendering to the Lord and King Jesus is the step that you need to take today. If the answer he gives you is yes, yes, yes I have, yes you are. Yet you're lacking fruit in your life, then it is a case, as Peter is talking about here, of, of nearsightedness or, or blindness. And, and your vision needs to be restored. The enemy has clouded your vision so much that you've been wrapped up in your own selfishness and for, forgotten about his forgiveness. You've been cruising down the highway of life without the discipline and working out of your salvation. Or even as a church, it can happen that we get distracted by peripheral things and we forget about the mission that God has for us. Worshiping him, proclaiming the good news of the gospel to a lost world. He said to the church in Laodicea concerning their pride in Revelation 3.17, you say I am rich, you think you're this. You are nearsighted and blind. You say I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. May we not forget. Let's not be nearsighted or even blind to forgiveness to the forgiveness that we have received. So as not to share that good news with others. Let's live lives of faith and faithfulness, enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit and founded on our growing relationship with Jesus that draws people to Jesus. Look, life is too brief. I mean, this is almost February already. Man, where does the time go? I thought my uncle was like 91. I didn't know he was 94 already. Life is brief. And the needs of the world are too great for God's people, for God's children to be walking around with their eyes closed. Let's open our eyes. Look at our final two verses. Therefore, my brothers, because of what I just said, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what a Christian is. This is how a Christian lives. And here is what happens as they do. So, uh-oh. Okay, it's the third thing, right? Security. Peter assures us of our security. If, if we keep our eyes open, we won't stumble around in the dark, he says. You won't fall down the stairs. You won't bump into things in the night. We will never fall, he says, and we will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, in my study, it says that, that this rich welcome that he refers to, the language here, referred to the welcome that Olympic athletes would receive as they went into the Colosseum. That's, that's the, the context here of what Peter is saying, and that is what we will receive. 
The person who claims to be a child of God but whose character and conduct give no evidence of spiritual growth is is deceiving themselves and headed for judgment. James explains it this way in verse 14 of chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In other words, you think you have faith but there's no deeds, which tells me that you actually don't. What good is it for them to say some words but not genuinely mean or believe them in their heart? Because if they truly had, their life would be bearing fruit. And then later in verse 26, James says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The the Christian who is sure of their election and calling will never stumble, Peter says, And the fruit of their relationship with Jesus will show that they are truly a child of God. Now, we won't always be on a mountaintop. uh, But we'll we'll always be hiking in the right direction. If you you can think of it that way as we think about that. We need to stay alert because there are dangers out there as we're, we're on this hike. And sometimes we just, we choose the wrong trail and it ends up in a big pile of rocks. And we have to backtrack or we raise our heads to Jesus and he points us in the direction to get back on to the trail. I mean, there is forgiveness for sin. We, not, not one of us is perfect. I mean, I hope that I am transparent enough that you see that even your pastor has a long ways to go. But that's not an excuse to just act however I want to. Can't be. There's no authenticity in that. There will be ups and downs of faith and obedience for sure. There will be times when the fruit of our life is in abundance and there will be times when the fruit of our life is like Pastor Dick's, you know, apple trees and there was a frost that wasn't good for them and they produce a little or nothing. We just need to be aware of that. We need to work out our salvation. Um, there'll be times when it seems like the enemy is winning, but you need to remember, don't get blind or nearsighted to that. That's not true. He's not. He's only advancing as far as God will allow him to for his purpose. For his purpose. The Christian life begins with faith. That faith results in spiritual growth that takes discipline and that spiritual growth will bring practical results. And in the end, in the journey to the end after salvation, Peter concludes in this passage, he says, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I pray that is true of each and every one of us. Um, Let's stand and we're gonna close in prayer and then be dismissed. Lord Jesus, I pray that you you would I pray that you would help us to surrender to the the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds as we all wrestle our way through this letter of Peter's. Help us to heed the truth. Help us to understand the foundation of our relationship with Jesus Christ as Peter lines out in the first 11 verse, this, verses this morning. And I, and I pray that you would help us help us all to to be able to to walk that balance of, of, of grace and work. I pray, Father, that for all who have heard and have listened today, that, 
that salvation was the initial step, that we have put our faith and trust in you as our Savior. And Father, that, that the next steps as we, as we take those, that we look to your word and as we learn that you, that you call us to love others and to forgive others and, and to spend time in your word and to grow in knowledge and, and knowing you. Oh, help us to do that today. And I pray that you would help us to, to learn and grow in our ability to, as we're going to see in, in the coming weeks, to recognize a counterfeit because we know the truth so well. God, thank you for your patience and your love to all who gather here today. In Jesus' name, amen.